You want to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. That's where we'll be for the morning. We've been studying the book of Revelation, the last two chapters especially. And uh, we'll, beginning, we'll be starting a new series next week can, entitled Why This? And we'll be talking about uh, why we do the things that we do. Why, why do we talk about repentance and baptism? What's communion all about? Uh, why, why, are, why is teaching such a big deal? These kinds of things. Um, but as we wrap up this series, I wanted to uh, start by reading what Jesus has to say. Uh, and this is, you don't need to flip there, I'll read it to you. Um, but in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 36, Jesus says this. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge of his house, and each one does his work, and he commands, hey, stay awake and be ready, because you don't know uh, when I'm going to come back. You don't know if I'll come back in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the morning. And if you're not awake, and he comes upon you suddenly, uh, what what will become of you? No dice? I know. Just get it going. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, I know. This has been, just so you know, a week of me um, doing everything wrong. And uh, this is just, uh, sorry about that. Right, so Jesus is talking about his coming. And, uh, and he says, hey, this is going to come suddenly. It's going to come upon you. Uh, and, and you're not going to be ready for it. You're not going to know when it happens. And so you need to remain awake. And as we consider the final words of Revelation and how things are going to uh, uh, finally wrap up, um, it requires from us, I think, an immediate response of some kind. It requires that we, that we listen. Uh, it requires that we respond by going out and telling others. It requires something of us. And there's a lot that's gone on in Revelation and a lot that does go on in Revelation. Strange beasts, strange creatures, strange visions, strange happenings, visions of the future, visions of the present, visions of the past. All of this stuff sort of crunched together in 22 chapters and it is really, really easy to get sidetracked by all of that stuff and miss the point. Miss the point. Because the, the book of Revelation, if you remember with me, opens up with seven different letters. And those seven letters go to seven churches. And each one of those churches, there is issued both praises and um, letdowns. The same thing is true with our church today. If Jesus showed up and said, I've got a word for you, he would have some things to praise us and pat us on the back for. You're doing this well. He would have some things to say, you need to really work on this and you need to do it now. But the message to each of these churches concludes with this phrase, to the one that conquers. To the one that conquers. To the one that conquers, he says, I will grant the tree of life. To the one that conquers, I will give the crown of life. To the one that conquers, I will give a white stone with a new name that only you will know. To the one that conquers, I will give the morning star. To the one that conquers, I will give garments that are white and I will never blot their name out of the book of life. To the one that conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and I will put my own name upon him or her and and they will never leave the new Jerusalem. To the one that conquers, I will allow to sit with me upon 
my father's throne. It's the one that conquers. Those are some, some very great and weighty promises, but they come with that caveat that you must continue in faith all the way through, all the way through persecution and hard time and sickness and doubt and doubt and death. And the one that remains faithful to the end, I will give all of the promises of God. Somebody really had to go to the bathroom. It was like the first thing that popped into my mind. Um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> we have a baptism this morning. Which is wonderful, uh, except for I forgot to fill the baptistry. Uh, and so aside from making really stupid and foolish mistakes this week of me putting my foot in the mouth and um, offending some people and just... Along with that, this has just been a crazy week. And so please ignore the rushing water and think of the water of life, right? This is, this is just an illustration of the sermon, of the water of life flowing through the middle of the cities we talked about last week. Good. So conquering. Let's look at our Bible for a moment, okay? Um, look at verses, uh, verse 10 of Revelation 22. Verse 10 of, of Revelation 22. God says to John, as all of this is wrapping up, he says, don't seal up these words. Don't seal up these words. And what does he mean by that? It's pretty clear. It means, hey, I want everyone to know these things. Now, if you have been under the impression that you could not know what God wants from you, I want to tell you today that's wrong. God wants you to know exactly what he wants you to do so that you could hear, so that you could obey because he desperately wants you to be a part of the kingdom. He desperately wants you to be a part of his people. He desperately wants you to be healed from your brokenness. He desperately wants you to be forgiven and saved. He desperately wants for you to have all of the promises that we just talked about. He's not hiding things from you. And he's not going to trick you on judgment day and say, I'll remember that thing. No, you didn't, because I didn't tell you about it. Ha! Right? God's not doing any of that. He's laying it out clearly so that you can hear and respond to the gospel message. So he says, don't seal these words up. I want everyone to hear it. But then he says something really weird and puzzling next, which is, which is the way revelation works, isn't it? He says, let the evildoers still do evil. The filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, you might take a fatalistic approach and say, well, oh, well, clearly he's just saying, you know, wherever I am, there I have to continue. That everything is already set for me, and if I'm not good, then I'll be bad, and that's just kind of how it is. And that's to miss the point altogether. Because each one of those messages, that, each one of those letters that he gave to the seven churches that ended with that phrase, to the one that conquers, I will give, and then he tells them this great promise, he also ends that letter with this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you've heard that before, haven't you? Who says that? Paul says that. That was the wrong answer, though. Thank you. Who says that? Jesus, right? And he says that all together. He's always in this, in this uh, gathering, this group of people, and he's teaching them. 
Some of them are followers, some of them are enemies, and some of them just have not made up their mind yet what to do with Jesus. And they're in this room to, this morning, there are people who are enemies of God. You, you have no interest, you don't want anything, and when I start talking about Jesus, you kind of get that like gross feeling in your stomach, and somebody dragged you along here today. Welcome to church, right? I understand that this is awkward, right? And I just, I appreciate you being here. There are those of you here today who are like ready to stand up and shout amen, throw a Bible up in the air. Don't do that. Uh, are you really excited about God? And then there are those here in this room this morning who haven't made up their mind yet. And so what this message is saying to you is, if you've got ears to hear, if you feel the Spirit prick you, if you feel there's something that God is doing in this morning, choose a better path. Because there are paths of wickedness, and there are paths of righteousness, and there are paths of uncleanliness, and there are paths of holiness. And God wants you to hear his message. He wants you to obey his message because he wants desperately not only to be with you forever, but to heal you right here and right now. That's what's going on here. And so the message, I think, right here is listen. Listen. Hear the words of God and be changed by them because verse 12 says something tremendous and offensive. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon and I am bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he or she has done. Now, there is nothing more offensive than having someone judge you, right? Some of you guys, right? If I look down on you and say, well, I'm better than you, what is your immediate response? Who do you think you are, right? Exactly. We know this experience. The idea of judgment is the most offensive thought, especially in our day and age. How dare you judge me? That's, that's our zeitgeist, folks. And I get that because I've had people judge me and I've said, now who do you think you are? Do the same thing. We all are the same in the same boat of this. And so when Jesus says, listen, I am showing up and I am going to be bringing my recompense. And this word, uh, some of your Bibles will say reward. The word literally in Greek is wage. If you go to work, you work all day or you work all week or however your payment plan works. You work, you do the work, your boss comes or sends somebody and they present with you a wage, a check. You have done this with your time and I am bringing what you have worked for. Now everyone in this room has worked in your life for something. You have spent your life doing something. Even if it's just eating pizza and playing video games. You've done something, right? And Jesus is coming and he is going to bring to you the wage for what you have spent your life doing. It means that we'll answer for everything that we've ever said, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever felt, and everything we have ever thought. And that is immense. It's immense. And I find that people respond in three ways to this message. There are those who say, who do you think you are? To tell me how to live my life, right? It's my life. It's, I'm following my heart. I'm following my desires. How dare you tell me that this is contrary to the word of God or contrary to what God wants? My heart tells me it's okay and therefore I'm gonna live my life however I want. How dare you judge me? We have other people, and this is most of y'all, 
What's with good church folks? We say, that's right, Jesus, get them, right? <laughs> and we can say that because we have this in our minds, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm right, I'm holy, I am like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way, right? And both of these attitudes, both of these attitudes get it wrong. Because both of these attitudes have at their core the very same sin, the sin of pride. One says, how dare you judge me? And one says, I don't need to be judged. What we have here is the problem both within and without the church today. And that is we have such a small and unbiblical view of who God is. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 13. What's it say there? Jesus is speaking after this, 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 this word of like offensive judgment. He says in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Now consider that for just a moment. Jesus says, if you could go all the way back to the beginning of everything, and if you could go all the way forward to the end of everything, and if you could take those two great lengths of time and space and matter, and you could fold them upon one another, not just so that they would exist in one single space, in one single moment, but that they would exist inside of one single being. Jesus says, there I am. Consider that for just a moment. The vastness, the omnipotence, the omniscience, the, the, the power. This is why we say something like almighty God, awesome God. This is why the scriptures say we ought to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Because in order to see that for what it is, you cannot help but be struck down in awestruck wonder of God and the infinite smallness and unworthiness of me. Which brings us to the third response, the appropriate response, the response that all who actually glimpse the true and living God have. Repentance. Repentance. Now, repentance isn't saying, woe is me, I'm such a terrible person, God could never love me. No, it is to, 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 to catch God's immensity, to fall upon one's knees and say, I know that I deserve nothing of the goodness that you have to pour out to me, and yet God, in your infinite and unfathomable grace, you have done so. The scriptures tell us that we were ransomed. Do you know what ransom is? You guys know what that word means, right? Somebody was owned, was, was oppressed by another person. That person is a slave. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to the devil. We were slaves to death. And it says that we were purchased. We were ransomed. We were rescued from all of that darkness. Not with things that are frivolous and stupid and perishable, the stupid things that we chase after, like money. What a stupid thing to work your life to the bone for. Money, gold, silver, 
Let's line your casket with gold. What good did it do you? Not with things like that. Things that men fight and war and hate and work for. No, with something that is immeasurably better. You were ransomed with the blood of the Son of the living God. That Christ laid down everything, leaving the immensities of all of the things that we talked about in, 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 in the heavens. He left all of that so that he might come and walk as a poor carpenter in, like, in a time when they didn't have indoor toilets. Right? They didn't have showers and bars of soap. They just had dirt everywhere. I bring this up because Laura wants to go camping this year. And camping is just like going on vacation, but dirty. I, hush up. Who was that? You? I knew if there was trouble in the room. I think of Jesus leaving, uh, you know, the past two weeks, if you haven't been here, that's okay. I, I, I appreciate you coming this morning. If you're interested in what we've been talking about, please check out our website and you can look at this sermon series. But we've talked about all these, like, this, the, the immensities and measure, immeasurable greatness of being in God's presence. And Jesus left that to walk among us that he might die for us in a cruel and shameful death so that we might be with him, so that he could say, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. Man, that's incredible. That's incredible. The glories of the living God we see coming forth here. And so he gives us this great warning here in verses 14 and 15. Um, He says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the city by the gates, that you might at one day, as we talked about those giant 22-story uh, pearls that sit beside the gate because the gate's always open, you get to walk past that as an invited guest into God's presence. Like, that's um, unimaginable. But as we read this word, Jesus comes to bring the wages, I I don't want us to get hung up on that and think that somehow Jesus is going back on everything else the New Testament was talking about. Just got real. (laughs) We're going to get it done. Very good. Okay. Okay. So I don't want us to get hung up on the fact that this is the weirdest church service I think I have ever (laughs) been a part of. Oh, good. I don't want us to think that Jesus is somehow contradicting the rest of the New Testament. Where the New Testament uh, says that it is by grace we've been saved through faith. And all of a sudden at the end Jesus says, well, now it's by all the good things that you've done. Like somehow if you're a good boy or a girl, I'm like Santa Claus and making a list and checking it twice. And somehow if your good outweighs your bad, then you're okay with me. No, that misses the point completely. First of all, I know you people and there's no way the good outweighs the bad. I love you, but it's true. It's true of me, it's true of all of us. The good does not outweigh the bad. But even if it did, it still wouldn't be enough. This one sin breaks our relationship with God and is forever broken. 
until somehow there is peace that's made. And that peace, the scriptures say again and again, is by the grace of the living God. And so we read in Revelation uh, 7, uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, um, there's this, this imagery where, where, where John is standing and he's watching and he sees that and he looks and there's a great multitude and there's so many people that you can't even count them. I mean, and they're from all over the place. All, all tribes and peoples and tongues and every, everyone is standing there and they're before the throne and before the Lamb and they're clothed in white robes. They're clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hands and they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God and he, he who sits upon the, the throne. And, and then one of the elders addresses John, one of the people in this, uh, this uh, heavenly courtroom, addresses John and asks a sort of a rhetorical question. He says, who are these that are clothed in white? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said back to me, these are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white. And the blood of the Lamb. You see, the God who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the A and the Z, that God is so immeasurably higher, greater, and more holy than we are that there is no hope of us reaching him. There is no hope of us attaining that glory. There's no hope of us working or climbing or, or climbing in a rocket ship and, and getting our way to him. There is no way to God except through the blood of Jesus Christ because it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are washed free of our sins and we are able to enter and have place with him in the kingdom of God. And so there's this very, as I said, very offensive message coming from the gospel, but I hope that you hear that it's a real and true message, that God is not pulling any punches or trying to cover your eyes or, or, or make something unclear or hard for you to understand. Come to Jesus Come to Jesus. Have your sins washed away. Have access to the river of life. Experience his grace. Conquer. Continue in the faith. Hear his voice and obey that you might have a place in the kingdom of God, that you might be a pillar in his temple, that he might write his name on you, that he might give you white robes and you will eat from the trees of life and drink from the river of life, that you might have the place that where he is, there you may be. What else matters? What else matters? I was talking to Lloyd today. Where'd he go? There you are. Lloyd, our, our, our dear and beloved brother, and as many of you know, has, has an issue. Uh, he is losing his hearing, and he is losing his eyesight. And so if you come up on Lloyd, and you touch him from the back, he's going to whack you with that cane, because he can't see you. Um, you need to stand in front of him, and you need to talk clear, and you need to talk loud, so he can, so he can hear and see you, okay? Um, I tell you that for your safety, but I also, I, I'm... I also want just, I, I love him so much. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm floored by this man. Because I, I'm speaking to him, and I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to go through what he's going through right now. And I, we're talking, and I said, how are you? Which is a stupid question, but what do you say, right? I mean, you've all been there before. And he says, I'm doing okay. And we're talking, and he's talking. He's telling me about what's going on. And he says to me, he says, none of this matters in comparison to glory. None of it matters. That's faith. That's world-conquering faith. 
That is faith that God honors, that is faith that God looks for, that is faith that he calls us to, and that is what a life pursuing Jesus Christ looks like, that no matter what happens, there is grace. There's grace. And that is the message of Revelation. That's what it's calling us to experience, because the Bible doesn't pull any punches about how much things can really stink And how much life can really break you down. And how many bad things people can do to you. And what I love about this passage in verse 12, where we read, Behold, I am coming soon. I'm bringing the wages with me. And so we're ready to sort of hop on the fire and brimstone judgment. But before we do that, not that we don't need to, but before we do that, let's remember that what it means is that Jesus is coming to say, I remember. I remember when they insulted you. And you didn't respond in kind. I remember when you were abused and no one came to your rescue. I remember when you fought for your kids and they didn't listen. I remember when you fought for your marriage and they still left you. I remember when you had faith and you showed up to church and you you gave of yourself in the children's ministry and you wiped the butts and you dealt with kids. I remember when you did all of those little things that no one ever noticed, I noticed, I saw, and I loved it, and I'm coming to bring you the reward for it. So spend your life for things that matter. Spend your life for things that Jesus will come and say, I remember. And when he comes to say, I remember, it's not the things that everyone else remembers. They don't give you a plaque for vacuuming the floor. They don't give you a plaque for fighting for marriage They don't give you a plaque for being a faithful parent. All of you teenagers say, amen. But Jesus is coming and he says, I remember. I saw it all. And so he warns us with very sober words in verse 15. He says, outside. Now remember, here we're we're envisioning the new earth and the new sky and the new Jerusalem, which is set down upon it, the capital city of this new earth that God has made. And it's immense and it's awesome, it's wonderful. But outside the gates, there are no more. In other words, that's a way of saying, there's no more of this. Outside are the dogs. Now this isn't meant to be insulting, and and please, if you're a Christian here today, and you go out to preach the gospel, don't say, hey, listen, dog, right, not a good way to get, well, I guess it might be okay, some circumstances. Be very culturally aware when you say that. It's not meant as an insult, it's meant as a description. Because in those times, like, we are the weird people in the history of the world that bring dogs inside. What do dogs do? They eat poop. You bring a, a thing that eats poop into your house and you treat it like a person. You put little clothes on it and you take it to the groomer. Right? This is weird. We do it. And I recognize that this is weird. In those times, this is, dogs were, were, were garbage disposals, right? You threw garbage outside of the city. And so things that ate garbage hung out outside of the city. So dogs are eating the garbage outside the city. And if we let our sweet little dog, Noelle, go, she would have a feast in that garbage, right? But we seal it up because we're dumb and we have a dog in the house. And so what's being said here is that, listen, there are people who are partaking of garbage. If you practice uh, here the word is sorcery, but it's talking about sort of like new agey, crystal-y, like if I wave this kind of uh, burning bush around in my house, I'll cleanse it of spirit stuff. 
If you do that, that's garbage. God looks at this and says, what is that? That's garbage. Pray to me. I'll fix things. If you practice sexual immorality, and this word is pornoia, or pornoi, and it's in the dative here. And that is a word that means sexual activity that is outside isn't, like, what we have done with the word porn is really weird. Like, there's a website called, like, Book Porn, where it's like, I see this on Facebook, where it's like libraries. And so what we've done with this word pornography or porn is to turn it into anything pleasing to the eye. This is troubling to me. This is very troubling to me. Not because I don't recognize that words change and linguistics change, but it, it makes regular something as terrible and vile in God's sight as pornography. People try to justify sexual immorality. We are especially doing that today. Like if you watch a commercial, I think that they're trying to sell me a, like, a, like a, 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 a prostitution ring and I find out it's about burgers, right? I mean, this is what we have done. This is what we have done. This is garbage. If this offends you, I apologize, right? But it is garbage. Anything that is outside of man and woman, married for life, is garbage. And we participate in garbage if we do something other than that. This is the message of Scripture. And God is pulling no punches. And some will be offended and they will walk away. And some will say, well, I, you know, I, I don't really feel that's where my heart's leading me. And they'll sort of stay in the middle and, and dance around. And some who have ears to hear will hear. Those who practice idolatry, and man, is idolatry alive in the church today? Don't pretend like it's not. Don't pretend like I can't look hard at your life and find something that you have taken and you have put in the place of God. That you will do anything to do that, but scripture reading, I don't got time for it. You will do anything to spend any amount of money to go there and play that game or do that thing, but I don't have time to show up to Bible study. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to lead my family in worship. I don't have time to go and visit the poor, the needy, the broken in the church. I don't have time for that because I'm so busy with this that thing, this other thing. That other thing is an idol. That's garbage. And God says, I have something that is so much better for you. Something so much purer, so much, so much more wonderful, so much more awe-inspiring, and so much more eternal that I'm desperate that you would hear my voice and you would respond to this message because my glory surpasses everything that this world has to offer you. And if you play with garbage, you are missing out. You're missing out. And when I come and my reward is with me, your reward will be what you worked your life for. And so I, 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 I want us to see this great dissonance between what God is calling us to and what we are actually participating in. And I want us to take seriously the message of Scripture, not to say, oh, woe is me, and, and sort of uh, you know, become like, walk out of here depressed and disappointed and sad. I want you to hear the message that God has. I have a kingdom, and you have a place in it. So will you repent? Will you be baptized? We've got the water running. It's ready. Will you respond? Will you have the ears to hear? Will you follow after me? Will you leave behind the things of the world and experience the glories that I have, not just for now, but forevermore? Will you hear and obey the gospel, the message that says you were made for more? This last bit, 
I think is really interesting in verse 15. It says, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, I, I think the temptation here is for us to say, well, that's, that's about lying, and I don't lie regularly, and so that doesn't include me. But falsehood is a whole lot more than that, isn't it? Because the opposite of falsehood is what? What? Truth, right? Truth. And so if we focused on what is true and said, I am true, we would see that falsehood then has a whole host of things attached to it. A whole host of things attached to it. Of course, lying works in there. But also, hypocrisy. Matt brought it up in the communion meditation. Are you out there one person? As soon as you hit those double doors, man, I'm someone new, someone different. I love the thing about Jesus, and that is just because Jesus is Jesus. I mean, he goes to parties, he's Jesus. He goes to the temple, he's Jesus. He's in the wilderness, he's Jesus. He always is the same person. There is no, there is no like, mealy-mouthedness about him. If you love hypocrisy, you love being in church and experiencing one thing and then going out in the world and experiencing something else, that's hypocrisy, that's a falsehood. And if you love that, you need to repent. If you love gossiping and backbiting and talking about people and calling and saying, hey, you know, did you hear so-and-so did this? I can't believe it. That's falsehood. That's, that's, that's all lumped into the opposite of that, which is truth, the truth that God is working uh, to lead us into because he has something better for us. He has healed relationships. If you have a problem with somebody or you don't like something, then go to them and love and say, I love you. We gotta heal this relationship because we're gonna live with each other forever and, and let's just fix it now. Why not? Also because if we come to the table and participate while we are divided, we break the very thing that the scriptures call us the unity of the body of Christ. We eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. So falsehood is just as desperately wrong. And so always before we get out to thinking about preaching the gospel of the world and and calling attention to the, the sins and errors that are out there, let us first examine our own hearts, examine our own church, examine our own lives, and make sure that we're fit for the kingdom, make sure that we're holy people, make sure that we're pursuing and conquering and hearing the message. Because once we as a church, and I really believe this, once we as a church have heard the word of God and really and truly responded to it, things change. Things change. In verses 17, verse 17, this is sort of, I've got this bracketed in my Bible because this is just one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It says this, the spirit that is God, right? The Holy Spirit. And the bride that is the, the kingdom of God, the bride that comes to New Jerusalem like a bride adorned for a husband. So, so the kingdom of God and the spirit of God, they call out. They say, come. Come. Nothing is standing in your way except for you. Nothing hinders you except for you. No one says no except for you. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And then there's a command. So here we have the spirit and the bride. They're just speaking. And then there's a command. And it says, and let. Do you see that there? And let the one who hears. That's all of you Christians here in this room today. You have heard the word. You have obeyed the word. And what are we supposed to do? Say, come. Hold nothing in front of people. Don't make 
obstacles for people to jump through, not say, you need, if you want to come and be a part of this church, you've got to become like me, you've got to dress like me, you've got to talk like me. Here's a whole list of do's and don'ts. We've got to get your life in order right now before you become a part of the church. No, listen, everyone in this room is broken. Everyone in this room is a sinner. Everyone in this room is saved by grace. Anytime we set something in front of someone and say, you can't come to Jesus until we are not keeping the word. Come, he says. And then there's this other order, this wonderful word. Let the one who is thirsty come. If you're thirsty here today and you hear the spirit calling and you're just desperate, desperate for that moment to be filled with peace, to have your sins washed away, to come to know God in a new and living way, the one who thirsty come and let him come. Let the one come who desires and take of the water of life without price. Isn't that beautiful? Come and take from the water of life without price. God offers it without price. Surely I am coming. Jesus testifies, surely I am coming. And then there's this great congregational response where I hear the booming voice of all of the creatures of heaven and all of the all of the saints of earth and all of the trees and the fields and everything that has longed for redemption, everything that has longed to see its brokenness heal, this great echo of all of creation say, Amen! Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Do you need to come? Or do you need to go out and call? Let's make our decisions today. Let's spend our life for things that matter. Let's come to the fountain before it's too late. Let us lay aside anything that hinders us and run the race with endurance that we could conquer, that we could conquer, that we could receive all the promises that God has for us. If you have a decision to make today, do not wait. Make it today. And you can come forward and we will pray with you. We have, we'll have an elder down front to pray with you. Or if you need to make a decision for salvation, come forward. We'll baptize you. We'll pray with you if you need prayer. We'll cry with you, with you if you need to cry. We'll laugh with you if you have victory to share. Whatever it is, come. Let's stand as we sing.